The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. We're going to continue our study in the church, and if you would, open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We'll start there in a moment. Um, this has been kind of a dispersed study. Uh, I think uh, the last time I, I, I spoke was uh, today's the 18th. It was three weeks ago or so, the last time I, I was able to um, to speak to you. So it's been a while, and so uh, I'm going to try to do a little bit of recapping on our current topic, which is the message of the church. Uh, so we began to talk about uh, the message, and I, I said that a message needs to be clear, needs to be concise, and needs to be complete. So if you're trying to convey information to, to people, if you're trying to relate a, a topic to them or something such as that, you, you, have to, you have to have those three elements in your message to them. You, you need to be clear. They need to understand what it is that you are speaking about. You need to be concise, uh, exact, not, not wavering and not, not um, fluctuating or varying, but be concise in what you say and then be complete. Uh, close the door, in, in other words. Seal up the package. Uh, don't leave it open-ended so that they can begin to infer other things into your message that you did not intend be there. So it needs to be a complete message. So we, we looked at that and then we, we determined from that I was going to speak of three primary um, focuses on the message from the church. And I said first that we must proclaim salvation to a lost word, that world. That's, that's the first message of the church. Uh, when, when the church assembled, the first commission Jesus gave the church was to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The church is a preaching station. We are to preach and we are to proclaim salvation to a lost world. First uh, Corinthians chapter one, beginning at verse uh, 17, we read, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God, and we understand that that the, that the, that we were not sent into the world to to baptize. Um, he said. He said we're sent to preach the gospel, and that's our calling. Now, <laughs> we all know this morning that the responsibility to preach the gospel has been given to the church. Uh, the Great Commission was not given to the individual believer, but it was given to the church. The church is the one. Um, that, that has been made responsible for uh, evangelizing the world. Uh, however, uh, the church empowers the people uh, to, to go forth and do that. The message of salvation must be proclaimed. If a church is not proclaiming salvation, then the church is not fulfilling its calling from the Lord. Uh, the church must take its voice uh, must make its voice heard 
throughout the community, and yea, throughout the world. And this will be done by those who are a part of the body of the local church. That's you, and that's, that's me, and, and, and that's all the, the members of all the churches around the world. We are the voice of, of the church, and we must proclaim the message of salvation to a lost world. Our message uh, must emphasize Christ and him crucified. Uh, John chapter 12 and verse 32, the Lord said, I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Of course, we know this is not true of all men, for not all men uh, receive the, the message of Christ. Um, but that's not, that's not in your hands, and that's not in my hands. It's not in our hands whether or not they receive it, whether or not they, they uh, hear and follow it. It's our responsibility to preach that message, and God will save whom God will save. Um, uh, it's not in our hands. We know that some will believe and be saved by our preaching of the gospel. And this gives us hope. It is this hope that impels us and compels us to go forth and preach the gospel, knowing that some men will believe. And you may, you may go out and you may preach the gospel and you may, you may witness to people for years and never see anyone demonstrate faith. <laughs> but some years down the road, that person, because of that seed you planted, uh, his, the situations in his life may compel him and he may be, become a believer and may believe the Lord. So our preaching is not in vain. Our sowing is not in vain. We do the work we've been called to do. The message of the church is salvation to a lost world. But then secondly, uh, I said we must preach separation from a corrupt world. So first we preach salvation to a lost world. Then secondly, we preach separation from a corrupt world. Now this, the first message of the church, that salvation is outward. We, we carry the, the message out of the church. This, this focus is inward. You see, some people have the idea that it's the pastor's job every Sunday morning from behind the pulpit to preach the gospel. And certainly, a pastor should proclaim the gospel from behind his pulpit on every Sunday morning. Some, every, every week, a, a presentation of the gospel should be given. However, the pastor's preaching from behind the pulpit in his church is inward. And it's, it's supposed to be for your benefit and for my benefit. So the pastor must preach separation from a corrupt world. Look at 2 Corinthians with me. Let's go to chapter 6. You should be there. And look beginning at verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers... For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the, for ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, 
and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Our message to the world is that of salvation, but our message to the church is that of separation. My pages aren't cooperating with me. There we go. He said, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now the emphasis here is intended to be placed on one's spiritual self. In other words, do not come into agreement with those who believe or profess a false gospel. And that's the emphasis of this passage. Yes, we must be separate today. And we must be careful about interpersonal relationships with those who do not profess Christ as Savior. However, this is not the main emphasis of this scripture. The main emphasis of Paul's instruction here, as expounded upon in verse 16, is to avoid the entanglements of false religious practices. We are admonished to be separate, to be distinguishable from the world in our worship and in our life. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter writes, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now God has made us a peculiar people. He has given us different propensities from the world. Uh, in other words, uh, we call these the fruit of the Spirit. God has given us a propensity to walk in holiness, to live a righteous life. Whereas before, our propensity was to satisfy the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. Now, we seek to satisfy the will of the Lord. And, and that, in itself, makes us a peculiar people. Have you ever been approached by someone at work and asked a question about your opinion on a certain matter? And, and, and you might express your opinion from a, from a spiritual viewpoint, and they look at you kind of funny? Have you ever experienced that? Any of you? Am I the only one that's ever experienced that? Or have any of you ever... Yeah, they come to us and, I mean, sometimes they say something to me and I say, why? Well, I, I couldn't do that. Why not? Well, that's dishonest. I couldn't, I couldn't do that. That would be lying. I couldn't do that. That would be stealing from the company. I couldn't do that. It would be wrong. And, and, and they, they look at you kind of strange. That's because you have a conscience they do not have. You have propensities. They do not possess. And that makes you, what? Peculiar. God has made us a peculiar people. Um, the, the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Let me tell you something. Before God saved my wretched soul, I possessed none of those. I didn't possess love in its truest sense. I wasn't a very joyous person. I wasn't very much at peace. Uh, I, I had no gentleness. I had no goodness. I had no faith. These things, they weren't part of my life before Christ saved my soul. But now I've been given these by, by the Lord. And they are in stark contrast 
to the works of the flesh. What are the works of the flesh? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings. Do any of you have a propensity for any of those things? I certainly hope not. But before you were saved, did you have a propensity for some of those things? Yes, you did. You can sit there and look at me as innocent as you want to try to look. But the word of God is very specific. And such were some of you. And that was us. But we have been changed. These peculiarities are what distinguish us from the world. I, I think of the man that, that witnessed to me and ultimately uh, led me to, to a faith in Christ. His name was Mike Alpha. Mike and I were high school buddies. And we were friends all throughout high school. And um, now after high school, we were both, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, we looked like potheads. And long hair. And, and, and uh, we were into rock music. And, and we, 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 we reveled a lot. And after high school, we went our separate ways. I went into the military. I don't know where Mike went. And I came out of the military, and and um, uh, I, I went to my father. I, I, I helped. I started working with my father in our family construction business, and we needed another employee, so we hired. I, I, I thought about Mike, so uh, I called Mike and offered him a job. And Mike came, and uh, th- the first time he showed up on the job, I saw that truck pull up. And I saw the door open and I saw him jump out and I was expecting to see something similar to what I'd seen in high school. And he jumped out and he was, he was clean cut and he had a haircut. He shaved and had a spring in his step. <laughs> and he walked up to me and I said, Mike, what happened to you? And he said, I found Jesus. And I said, oh, no. Oh, my God. I thought to myself, I didn't know he was lost, but good thing you found him. But Mike started, and and he had a whole new life. You see, whereas he was like those other things, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, those things, whereas that was him, now he was filled with love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Why? Because he had become born again. Jesus had saved him. And now he had a whole new set of propensities in his life. And, and, and he was different. He was a peculiar person. Most definitely, to me, he was a peculiar person. I didn't know what he had, but I knew this. I wanted it. I wanted what he had. And it was important to me to find out what he had. So God used him. He used him to preach the gospel to me. I was lost. And I was an unbeliever. Yet he entered into contract with me. But he did not begin to worship as a Catholic with me. He did not change his spiritual self to to associate with me. 
He did not begin drinking or, or reveling with me again. He remained separate. He remained separate in his worship. He remained separate in his walk with God. And in so doing, by his testimony, he showed me the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen. There are some who say, well, you know, he shouldn't have gone to work for you because you're, you're lost. Well, you know, if we all took that attitude, most of us wouldn't have jobs. Because we'd be working for lost people. So it wasn't, it wasn't wrong for him to, to, to enter into a, a contractual agreement with me to work for me. But it would have been wrong for him to, to, to corrupt and compromise his spiritual standing. But he remains separate. Listen, remember, it's God that has made us holy and not we ourselves. It is by his sovereign work and regeneration and sanctification that we are holy. And it was unto his purpose. And that purpose is for his glorification. And for our witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ to all men everywhere. That God, according to his will, bring his elect saints to repentance and faith. So our separation that we emphasize and the separation that we must preach is one of the, of, is one of the tools that God has given us to continue in the holiness that he has imparted unto us. A holiness that does not depend upon our righteousness, which we do not have, and cannot be destroyed or made invaluable as we taught in the lesson we taught on Righteousness, unholiness. So, and when we look at verse 17, wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate. Separate in what? Separate in our faith. Separate in our worship. Separate in our walk. And making sure that, that we, uh, while we abide in the world, as Jesus said, I, I don't pray that you remove them from the world, but that you keep them from the world. And we have to be in the world and we have to interact with lost men throughout our lives. But we must remain separate. We must retain, we must retain the holiness that God has imparted to us. And walk and live in righteousness. In verse 18, he says, and will be a father unto you. This is to be understood of the favor given us by a loving and caring father. A father pitying his children and sympathizing with them, supporting them through their trials and afflictions, sustaining them, not with the minimum of provisions, rather with an abundance does he provide for them. And he will be a father unto us. My father, my dad, um, I could walk in, I could walk in, the, I could go there today. I could, I could travel back to Louisiana. I could walk right in the door. I wouldn't have to knock. I could walk right in the door. I could walk in and he'd see me. He'd say, hey, son. I'd say, hey, dad. I'd go right to the fridge and open it up and get something out of the fridge and take whatever I want from in there and just, just start fellowshipping with, with dad because he, what? He's my father. But you couldn't do that. You couldn't just show up at my dad's house and come in the door without knocking and, Walk over into his fridge and start pulling food out. You'd hear, you'd hear a gun cocking behind your back. 
Because you're not his son, you're not his child. But he's a father to us. And we have fellowship with him. And we have relationship with him. And he says, and ye shall be my sons and daughters. And, and this speaks to our assurance of our relationship with the father. Not that by our efforts of separation do we gain this sonship. Rather, uh, by his grace. So paraphrasing this would be that you will behave and live as my sons and daughters should live. You see, by our separation, when we, when we remain separate in our faith, when we remain separate in our worship, when we remain separate in our walk, what we do is we behave like children of God, not like children of the world. So we are to be separate today. But we're to be separate in our faith. We're to be separate in our worship. And we're to be separate in our walk. But we are to be witnesses unto Christ. And to do this, we will have to carry the gospel to unbelievers. Unbelievers are not going to hunt you down to find out the truth. We are going to have to carry the gospel unto them. So first, uh, first we're to preach salvation to a lost world. Second, we preach separation <coughs> excuse me, from a corrupt world. But then thirdly, we must encourage sanctification for God's use. Our message in the church, again, it's inward. We must encourage sanctification for God's use. First Peter chapter 3. Let's turn there, if you would, real quickly to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, let's, let's just look at verse 15. And you know, folks, it's, it's important before I stray too far from point two to emphasize. We need to get that, we need to understand that. We need to understand what separation is. Because if we, if we read that, if we interpret that verse wrongly, what, what it does is it creates a whole generation of people who think they're better than anybody else. A whole generation of people who become bitter and hateful to people who are lost. So uh, we, need, we need to understand that very clearly. And we have to grasp the, 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 the reality of our separation. And, and the emphasis is on the spiritual side, not on the carnal side. So let's go on. First Peter 3.15. <coughs> Peter writes here... <coughs> But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. <clears throat> now, when we talk about sanctification, there are two, two definitions to consider. Um, definition number one, in a general sense, is to cleanse, to purify, or to make holy. Now, I'm sure we all understand here that we cannot accomplish any of these tasks ourselves concerning our spiritual self. I can do nothing. I can do nothing to cleanse my soul. I can do nothing to purify my soul. I can do nothing to make my soul holy. So I think we all understand that. This is not a human work. Uh, we understand and accept that only God 
can sanctify us in this manner. Only God. But then there's a second definition. Definition number two is to cleanse from corruption, to purify from sin, to make holy by detaching the affections from the world and its defilements and exalting them to a supreme love to God. Now, this definition expounds upon the first by suggesting a procedure whereby we can accomplish these tasks, albeit on a lesser scale. So we cannot accomplish this with regards to our immortal souls. That's a given. But we can accomplish this with regards to our hearts. And by hearts, I'm talking about the center of human consciousness. Peter admonished us in in verse 15, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. So while we know that we cannot cleanse our own souls or make ourselves holy, God would not have inspired Peter to instruct us to sanctify our hearts, again the center of human consciousness, unless he has given us the power to do so. God will not command you to do anything in scripture that he hasn't given you the ability to do. Everybody agree with that? Does God command us to do something, but yet doesn't give us the ability to do it? Now, I'm not talking about the Ten Commandments, because we all know we don't have the ability to to keep those. But I'm talking about in in, in our sense as his children, he has called us to do certain things in, in in our life here on earth, and he has given us the ability to do those. He's empowered us. Sanctify, we're to sanctify him in our in our hearts, in our, in our, in our human consciousness. <laughs> Definition number two states that we can accomplish this by detaching our affections. Okay, definition number two again, it says, by detaching the affections from the world and its defilements. So this would, this would clearly imply that we are to make God the center of all that we are and do. So we, we, we put God in the center of our, of our life. Everything we do begins with the Lord and, and goes outward from there. And this is what he's talking about. When he talks about sanctifying the Lord God in your hearts. In other words, we don't live our life with God as just something we do. We don't go through our week with church as something that is important to do. We go through our life with God being all that we do. And everything we do starts there and, and moves outward. And if we learn to do that, then we sanctify our, our hearts by association with God. So many scriptures come to mind when, when I think about this. Psalm 37 and verse 5. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, 
and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Psalm 118 and verse 8. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. And even, even in the New Testament, Mark chapter 12 and verse 30. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. So, we're called upon to sanctify God in our hearts. Now, I can't, again, I can't sanctify my own soul. I can't make myself holy. I can't, I can't live my life in a certain way. Or, or let me say this, an unsaved man can't live his life by a certain, by a certain lifestyle. And, and then present himself before God as holy, can he? he God's going to reject all of his righteousness. The Bible says all of, our, all of our works are as filthy rags unto God. God does not accept that. He doesn't accept that work. He only accepts his, the, the, the sanctifying work that he imparts himself. And if, if we do not possess... That sanctification, we have no hopes of, of going to the second level here that we're talking about, the sanctification of our own hearts, of our own self-consciousness. So it's important that we, we understand that God has given us the ability to sanctify our minds, to sanctify our hearts, the way we think, the decisions we make. You see, before we were saved... We couldn't say no to sin. Sin was our master. It, 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 it overpowered us. But now, God has mortified the works of the flesh. Now he has given you and, and I, he's given us the ability, he's given us the power to say no. He's given us the power to resist sin. And we can say no. And I, I, I tell people this all the time. We used to tell the teenagers in high school all the time. Don't ever say you had to sin because you don't. You sin because you want to sin. You sin because you choose to sin. Because even in the temptation, God has given us a way to escape. And that way to escape is to sanctify our mind and heart in Christ Jesus, our Savior. And simply say no. I won't do it. We must proclaim, as a church, we must proclaim the need for sanctification in our hearts and minds. But I feel it's so important to make you understand. I'm not talking about the sanctification of the soul. That is a work only that the God can do. But you can sanctify your mind. You can purify your mind by detaching it from the world. You know what the, you know what's you know the reason so many Christians struggle with this? It's because they love the world. Yeah. You know the the world can I can I can I say this? The world has some pretty cool stuff in it. It does, doesn't it? 
the Internet's pretty cool. You can, you can go to a Google bar and you can Google any question you want and you'll get all the answers you need. But the Internet is also full of a bunch of garbage, isn't it? Yeah. And if, we don't, if we're not careful, we get, we, get, we get drawn into that. We get allured into that. When, when we begin to become allured by the world, the world will slowly draw you in and devour you. So we have to, we have to detach. We must not allow this message of sanctification to be drowned out by the noises around us. And there's a lot of noise around us. The message of the church. We must be faithful as a church to proclaim the messages that men need. Salvation to a lost world. Separation from a corrupt world. And sanctification for God's use. So let's remember these things as we go forward. Uh, and I pray, I pray the Lord that we would live lives that honor and glorify him within the church. All right, folks, that's all the time we have. So thank you for being here this morning, and you are dismissed. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.